1: Hello to Roger fans. Welcome to episode number 297 of the Peristyle podcast. Today is December 2nd, 2013. We've got a big show for you this week on the podcast. Hard to believe it's the last month of the year, but here we are. The regular season is over. USC lost to UCLA. 35 to 14, we're, of course, going to talk about that. we got Dan Weber coming up a little bit later on the show and Coach Harvey Hyde in the first segment talking about all that. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Podcast at uscfootball.com. That's our email address. Or give us a call, 206-888-6755. That's 206-888-6755. Or go to peristylepodcast.com. You can leave a voicemail right there as well. All right. Without further ado, Coach Harvey Hyde. What's up, Coach? How you doing,
2: Ryan? How you doing, my friend? Uh, well, I want to remind everyone that we're not just uh, because the regular season's over. It's going to end our podcast. We're going to be with you year round, as we always are. And there's a lot of uh, things to talk about. In fact, uh, the bowl game, as far as the future of who's going to be the coach at USC, why, and what's going on there, and all recruiting and different things. So. You know, uh, Ryan, it it just never ends. Your years never end, mine doesn't, and you just look, it's sort of like a seasonal thing. So we'll keep this podcast going as long as you'll have me, and uh, I enjoy doing it. And I want to thank everybody out there, and I want to say happy holidays to everyone out there. And it's time for us to recap UCLA-USC.
1: Yeah, happy holidays uh, from Coach Every Hyde and myself. And before we jump into all this, I wanted to thank Southern California Tickets, sctickets.com, 1-800-888-7287 is phone number. Or, of course, go to sctickets.com, and you can get tickets for anything there. Of course, USC's bowl game, which we'll talk about where that could be. Do you want to do any kind of Clippers tickets, Lakers tickets, things like that, you can go to sctickets.com, and they can help you out. And uh, Coach, wasn't the... The prettiest game I've, I've seen USC play, and I guess most importantly, it wasn't the prettiest game we've seen with Ed Orgeron and staff. It, it kind of looked more like one of those games be uh, before Ed Orgeron took over than, than, than afterwards.
2: Ryan, uh, you have to give credit where credit is due. UCLA came to play. It was a bad day for USC football fans, players, announcers, the family, the USC family to sit there and have such great anticipation. In fact, on the pregame show, I picked the Trojans to win, as you know, and uh, to see them not play up to their level of standards, which this team has been doing as far as progressing and getting better and better and better. I felt this team going into the UCLA game, this Trojan team was the best playing at this time, and it improved the most more than any other team in the Pac-12, and that's saying a lot but they didn't. It was a UCLA day. They were the better team. Uh, UCLA was more physical. They took the, they took it to USC. They were better prepared. They made less mistakes. They didn't have any turnovers, which you can't have in big games. Their penalties were not what they've been in the past as far as near 100 yards in every game. They won the battle in the trenches, and that's where it all is. The defensive line of Marsh and Barr and the linebackers of Zumwalt and Kendricks and company were much more physical than that offensive line of USC. And they tackled better in space. They tackled better anywhere. And uh, Brett Hundley, let's give him credit. He had a super day, probably his best day of the year. Uh, He ran well. He kept them off balance. He threw when he had to and uh, just had a tremendous game. And You know, here's a team that was averaging 452 yards coming into the game, and UCLA only got 396 yards. But still, Huntley, when he needed to get it done, he got it done. Uh, Their coverages I didn't think uh, were good as far as they could never stop the swing pass, the screens. Or when Huntley scrambled, it looked as though they were completely out of sync on that. And when I saw the first play of the game, the kickoff, when this young man uh, returned it to the 40-yard line, averaged 130 yards on three kickoff returns, 43 or 42 yards a kickoff return, I said, "Hey, something's not right around here," and I think it was going to come to an end, and it did.
1: I guess the question now is, does Coach Orgeron stick around? And that's what uh, everyone's been talking about, Coach, after the after the game. What What are your thoughts now that that Orgeron six and two uh, through his interim head coaching tenure
2: first of all let's let's look positive on this they've won nine football games they have an opportunity they're going to a bowl game probably i'm guessing the las vegas bowl they'll play fresno state and have a chance to face Derek carr who's a great thrower you know a lot about him ryan uh and they have a chance of winning 10 football games there's nothing embarrassing about being 10-4. Now, it might be embarrassing if you're a Trojan and wants to go to the Rose Bowl every year, but when you think about this season, it's been two seasons, two philosophies, a lot of injuries, and other things that were made up as excuses in the first half of the season that were never addressed after Ed Orgeron took over. So, the program is, is in a position to win 10 games. Now, they've got to, of course, be in a a mood uh, to to want to win that football game. And I think one way that will be if they know what exactly is the situation as far as with the head coaching position. I think that uh, right now there's going to be some uh, discussions on uh, the future at USC in football as far as their coach and leadership. I think, and we all said that, and I said it after the Stanford game, so I don't want to in any way – mislead people. I said they should have hired him the Monday after he beat Stanford. But of course, now things have changed. Uh, there is now that question mark uh, that everybody is talking about. If you can't beat Notre Dame and you can't beat UCLA, is he the man? Well, that's things that Pat Hayden and Ed Orgeron are going to have to discuss. I think that he is the man, can be the man, when if he was to surround himself with the best assistant coaches in the country as far as X and O's. I think he's a great recruiter. I think he'd be a great face to the USC Trojan football family. I think people love him. Players love him. Uh, But I think he has to evaluate it and come with a plan to Pat Hayden. Not be Pat Hayden's ideas, but be Coach Ed Orgeron's ideas of how do we get back with the number of scholarships we have, but what my plans are, as far as bringing this program back to where it should be. because when you look at the Pac-12 right now, Ryan, the Pac-12 is a great football conference. I say it's the best one in college football. You know, you've got uh, Graham over at Arizona State, Rodriguez at Arizona, you've got Sarkeesian at Washington, Mike Leach at Washington State. I don't have to name them all, but they're all great coaches, and they've been head coaches, and you know what they bring to the table. So he's got to bring a plan to Pat Hayden and say, and sit down and say, hey, this is what I think we need to do. And then Pat Hayden has to decide whether this plan is what he wants to go forward with. So, uh, but whatever that plan might be, I think Coach Ed Ordron is now in a position where he would be able to decide if he wants to stay at USC. Before, if he had been undefeated or beaten everybody or beaten even UCLA and didn't get the head coaching position, then it would be difficult for him to stay. But I think now it could be feasible for him to stay. If he doesn't get it, he has to decide what's going on there to make up his own decision. I think it would make the players happy. But disappointed was they formed the O for Orgeron before the game. As far as for him to be the head football coach but I think that decision has to be made quickly now if Pat Hayden has been doing his homework and we all think he has then he should be able to make an announcement by the end of the week and I think it's very very important to make this announcement as soon as possible for the program for the fans for the media but the longer it goes on the more people talk about it and it and it, it 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 hurts recruiting. It hurts everything else. Now, as far as he says he's going to work tomorrow, they'll get this game film out of the way, and they'll start recruiting, which all winners do. Very difficult to take a loss like this. As the fans, if you, you can imagine, if you're a fan or a parent, how bad you feel, you can imagine how the coaches feel, because they really didn't think that was their best effort. And always coaches blame themselves as far as not having the team ready to play. So. That's what I think. Uh, I, I still think he could do be a great head coach as long as he was to present a plan to Pat Hayden that would show that not that the coordinators and coaches at USC aren't good, but at USC you can get the best coaches in America to coach at USC, because that's the tri- uh, type of traditional program it is as far as coordinators, recruiters, the whole package. And if Coach Orgeron is the leader of that, then I think that's absolutely fantastic. So I think it's up to Pat Hayden to decide in what direction, and I think another direction they have to decide in, and I think it's very important, is what direction they want to go offensively and defensively, what schemes they want to run to be able to compete today against the talented athletes such as Hundley and, you know, all these great players, Marriotta, and, you know, I can name them all that what today is is happening in college football so i think these are the things that have to be decided within the very near future
1: great stuff there coach all right uh good good aspect of, of analysis of what's going on with the coaching situation there we have to wait and see what pat hayden's going to do and we'll have lots of coverage on that on uscfootball.com so certainly check it out uh, but we got some questions about the game and stuff you want to you want to let me send you some your way
2: Oh, yes, let's do it.
1: All right, here we go. Here's the first question. We're going to go with a voicemail one. Here you go.
3: Hi, this is uh, Sean from Kentucky. Uh, I was just calling. I wanted to see what Coach had to say about this. You know, one of the things that I loved about the Pete Carroll era is that he was an awesome uh, chess player. He made the adjustments that he needed to make. And I was just wondering, you know, they were killing us in the flats. And it seemed like we never made an adjustment we didn't do anything, you know, our defensive end continued to just fly up field, uh, and, you know, Hunley would just take off right where they came from. And I was just wondering, you know, why has it seemed even other, under, under Kipman and Orgeron, there hasn't been a whole lot of adjustments made. I don't know exactly why that is, or if it's just, they're trying to make ad- adjustments and the players aren't exactly executing. Um, Either way, I think, uh, USC will USC and Pat Hayden will get it
2: right with this next tire and fight on. Well, thank you very much for your question. It's a very good question. Uh, I agree with you 100% as far as on the – there was no surprises with what UCLA did. They've been running those swing passes and bubble screens and, and, and the regular screens the entire year. And they just ate up USC with those plays. They could have run those plays all day. And there didn't seem to be any adjustments or the proper angles or open field tackling that's necessary when you're one-on-one in covering uh, those type of athletes in the open space. Uh, uh, Also, the adjustment of Brent Huntley scrambling. I mean, they'd split the field. Now, don't get me wrong. This isn't easy to do. But they split the field with their receivers where everybody's spread all over the field and they run Hunley up the middle, which means, you know, once you break into getting to the second level or if the linemen are going one way and Hunley's going the other way, there is, there's a lot of space there, which uh, you've got to cover up and you've got to take Hunley out of the game. Hunley's the guy that decides the game. Uh, he's the number one guy. He's the Superman. I mean, he's got to be taken out of the game. And I'm not talking about injuring him. I'm talking about allowing him to compete at the level where he competes the best. And yesterday, he competed at the best, and the Trojans couldn't compete with him. So I agree as far as on uh, defensive adjustments. I said, and I said it in the pregame show, and I said it all week, and I said it on the tweet I sent out on uh, uh, at the end of every quarter that the third quarter was going to determine the game. UCLA has come out after half and scored 134 points and only had 34 points scored against them. That is their most successful quarter. They come out and they dominate. Well, they came out and outscored the Trojans 14-7. to Not that that's domination, but they came out and did uh, at one time have a two-touchdown lead immediately in the third quarter, which at that time it took USC out of their rhythm I never felt offensively they were ever in their rhythm. Now, I know that you didn't ask me this question, but I'll just finish this real quickly. I felt the entire game on offense, there was too much rotation going on. The play calling was coming in late. It hurried up the complete play calling, and Cody got out of his normal rhythm where he showed the confidence that he had before. And I can go on and on, and maybe we'll have another question on that later on. But, again, thank you very much. I hope I answered your question.
1: Yeah, that's that's an interesting point, Coach. And uh, you know, when I said the top of the show, it did look a lot more like what we saw, you know, under Lane Kiffin. And is part of it that? Is part of it what you said that uh, it it was taking longer for the plays to get in, or it wasn't the kind of rhythm and flow that you saw, you know, recently when the offense was doing well? That that's something specific you saw that that kind of reverted back to the way the things used to be.
2: In, in a way it was, Now I'm not saying it, it was completely like that, but I'm saying it wasn't like everyone anticipated a call that was ready with it and everything went smoothly. It looked as though Cody was always hurrying up. Uh, we were seeing routes, more routes again when the receivers were
4: – he had eight
2: yards to go and the receiver ran a five-yard route and always towards the right sideline where they had to make a – tremendous catch and drag their toes to make sure they were in bounds. Otherwise, it didn't work. Or they had to catch the ball and, and make a gallon effort and make three or four more yards to make that first down. And it seems as though Cody's always drifting to the right and also locking on receivers and not scanning the field. Now, a lot of that had to do with the pressure he was getting because the defensive line of UCLA just was in his face every minute. But the middle of the field was wide open. And I didn't think they really attacked it and took advantage of the middle of the field. They did one time with Grimble down the seam for a touchdown, which was a beautiful play. The play was so just immediately right down the seam, and boom, he was in there, and it's a TD. But you've got to do that to help your receivers with the defensive safeties. have got to play the middle of the field where your outside receivers have more room to operate. So the middle of the field wasn't taken advantage like I thought it was. One incident, uh, they did not, well, they didn't throw the ball deep either a lot. They didn't go for the big play. USC has become a big play offensive football team, either with Buck Allen on the run or with Aguilar. Lee, obviously Lee isn't who Lee is right now. It, he's showing tremendous courage, but I'm not sure he should be playing. That's just what I'm saying. He wants to play, but I'm not sure he should be playing, but he's limited on what he can do. and You certainly don't want to get him injured. But the one time they went deep with Aguilar, the defensive back couldn't cover him, and they had a pass interference. Uh, Otherwise, possibly there had been a touchdown. I wish Aguilar would have made a bigger attempt of catching that football rather than complaining about the pass interference. If you catch the football, you got the football, you know, and you you decline the penalty. But uh, in that situation, he, he, he quit, and they took the 15 yards or whatever, but that was great. But I think that you've got to take advantage more of what you do and don't let people uh, dictate to you. But it was difficult because the offensive line with the loss of Martin and with the loss of Walker uh, wasn't the same. I thought uh, the running of the football was good to the right side behind Graft. I thought that Buck Allen came close to breaking it several times And I thought the rotations, I couldn't understand. I know one time he tweaked his ankle or something, and he went out. But when you're playing in big-time contests, you've got to have your big-time players playing big-time. And right now, Buck Allen, to me, there's no question who the best running back is. I mean, he's got to be in there all the time. And I'm not trying to say other players aren't good. I'm just saying at that moment with the rhythm and who he is, he can break a play at any time. He had probably the longest gain of the day, twice by that pass and a run. So uh, and they were rotating a lot of people. Not that Cyrus in a good player, but he hadn't been playing, and and uh, Isaac came in. I think the one time that that uh, Allen got dinged a, a moment, but you know there was a lot of substitution, and and I don't think it was really the timing was right, and and, and they, they just weren't USC yesterday.
1: Uh, well, Sean had a question kind of on that point. He wanted to know what happened with the running back rotation for the UCLA game. Seemed to be all Buck Allen. Wasn't it effective rotating in fresh bodies at tailback? But did you think they, they rotated too much, or, or is that just not that position? What do you think?
2: No, I, I'm I'm making the point that they rotated too much. Okay. What, I, what I'm saying, uh, I think the other players are excellent players, but right now Buck Allen is the guy. He's the main guy right now, and he has been over the last couple of weeks. If you check the number of touchdowns, I think he scored nine touchdowns in three weeks. He's the guy you can't keep him out of the game. He's your he's your playmaker, and uh, you can't get away from your other playmakers, those guys. And really, UCLA took those guys away from USC by the way they dominated the offensive line, just dominated it. Uh, I mean. Marsh, whatever he had for a pregame meal and bar and Kendrick's and Zumwalt, uh, man, they ought to bottle it. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, it was fantastic the way those kids play. And you got to give them credit, UCLA. They were the better team yesterday.
1: Certainly. Uh, well, Gene had a question. He actually had shared some of your comments about uh, the vertical passing game and throwing to the tight ends. Um, but he said the defense also took a step backwards. And although there's their quarterback is special, there were huge holes for him to want to run through. If Coach O is hired, he needs to find a new offensive coordinator and defensive co- coordinator. He says, oh, well, there's always next year. Let's fight on from Gene in Orange County.
2: Well, Gene in Orange County, there is always next year. But, again, you got to look at this year and what you're ending up with. Uh, you know, you hear me saying that I wasn't happy with yesterday's performance, and I'm looking at it as a head football coach as far as if that was my staff and my team I would say we didn't do a good job and prepared our team because I didn't think the team was prepared to a contest such as what UCLA brought to the house. And uh, I, I would say that uh, that uh, what was his basic question again? I'm watching this damn pro football game. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs>
1: huh? I'd just be honest with everybody, I love okay? Her. Coach, I love that. That's that's pretty awesome. I
2: like to tell everybody right now: it's Denver twenty-eight, Kansas City twenty-one. What else do you want to know? Yeah. Uh, well, okay.
1: <laughs> well, you talk about the defense taking a step backwards. Uh, you know that that it it just didn't look the same, and and what the, you know what USC can do on defense there.
2: No, uh, we talked about that earlier in in the podcast when I said that their angles were bad. Uh, they look like they weren't even prepared for this place. They've run the entire year, the swings and the flats, and, and the leads with the swings in the flat, all the things that, same type of uh, philosophy that Arizona State used on USC. UCLA's used it the whole year. It's not like it's something new. And uh, they stretched the field. And they lined up wide with their splits, where they stretch it where Brett Hundley had a lot of room to, to run around what they did is spread USC's defense out, and it was a plan for the kid to run because when you're rushing up the field full speed like Leonard Williams and Kennard and these guys do, well, they run right past the quarterback because they don't settle up. You've got to stay in his face. You've got to put pressure on him. But you also have to know, uh-oh, I'm going to be pushed by him. So you've got to be able to settle down and work inside out So that if you force him outside of you, you force him deeper. So he has to run deeper before he can get around you. If he can run straight up the field, it's a straight shot down the middle of the field. So they didn't do a good job in that as far as defending Hundley. But that's where all the big plays came. On Hundley's third down decision of running the football, scrambling around, he carried one on one option where he kept the ball and ran it in for a touchdown. Uh, he was the man yesterday as far as the offensive side of the football, but he had to throw the ball as well, plus the adjustments and angles of what USC's defense yesterday wasn't what USC's defense is supposed to be.
1: Um, I know we've got to let you go. I want to get you quick on the uh, the bowl game. Melvin actually wrote in with this question. He had, well, he had about 10 questions. Melvin, we love you. just can't have 10 questions every week, okay? Sorry, just, just give us one or two. That'll be good. But he wants to know which, which bowl game do you think USC is going to be invited to?
2: Well, I, I think they'll be invited to the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh, there's a lot of options, but I think it'd be a good bowl for USC. First of all, it's close to Los Angeles. The game is December 21st, 12.30 kickoff uh, on ABC, national television. Uh, They're in any game that's up against it. So it's a fantastic game as far as exposure. For Ed Ordron if he's the head football coach or the new head football coach, I don't believe the new football head football coach will coach the bowl game. I think Ed Ordron will coach the bowl game, and he will observe it the same way when Mora came down and was the head coach at UCLA, evaluate the game and what's going on. Uh, if that's if it's not Ed Ordron as the head football coach. Uh, I think they'll play a very difficult team in uh, Fresno State. Fresno State is a good football team. Derek Carr is a great thrower. They have great receivers, great receivers. Ryan, you know that. They, yeah. They've they got as good as receivers as anybody in the Pac-12.
1: They do. They're amazing.
2: They, they are. So it'll be a day where, again, uh, you've got to have a complete defensive effort. You can't break down. But they throw the ball long. They throw the ball everywhere. And they throw it well. And uh, their defense is not one that, uh, you know, they don't slow you down that much. People have scored on Fresno State. They have really scored on them. But you don't want to get in a scoring race with them. But they certainly have the arsenal to really beat you. So, But, you know, this is what makes their bowl game. The Mountain West Conference wants their team to play a team like USC. They want to play that to... If the effort is there and they can beat a Pac-12 team like USC, it brings the Mountain West Conference a lot of notoriety. It gives them a great TV rating, Uh, the whole package. And I think the kids on the team, it's a bonus to go to a bowl game. But, Ryan, the kids have got to take the game serious. Yes. Because they can get a 10-win season here. 10-win season. Because it's not the Rose Bowl, and I'm not giving everybody a lecture when I say this, doesn't mean this bowl isn't a great bowl. Any bowl's a great bowl when you have the opportunity to go and get the extra days of practice where you can get better, you can heal up, your seniors have a bowl experience, but you want to remember a bowl experience is something that's positive. You want to wear a bowl ring that you want to wear. So they've got to go up there and take the challenge, or wherever they go, and play it with a positive all-out game effort whether it's the BCS championship game or if it's just a, any bowl, they've got to be able to take this game serious to become a better football team. I really mean this when I say that.
1: No, it makes sense, Coach, and we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens and where they get selected. Uh, Fresno State, looks like they'll be picked either way because uh, even if they lose the Mountain West Conference championship game, the Las Vegas Bowl gets the first overall pick, and since Fresno State's 10-1, and 1, they would likely be the selection. I, at least that's my understanding.
2: Well, the the Las Vegas Bowl. Here's the way it works: Las Vegas Bowl has first selection of any team in the Mountain West Conference. So that it doesn't have to be a conference champion. And Utah State has already played in Las Vegas. They played UNLV in Las Vegas. So Fresno has a great following. They have great fans. They'll bring twenty thousand people to Las Vegas, and it's important that certain t- seats and tickets are sell- selling. So it's important to bring a very popular number as far as TV audience. So a matchup with USC that has a great traditional name and Fresno State will bring great TV audience, plus fill the bowl up. So if that's going to happen, then I think that'd be a great matchup. But I tell you, don't assume you're going to show up and beat Fresno State. you got to bring your game.
1: Yeah, there'll be back-to-back seasons if that does happen. USC opens with Fresno State next year. And that actually happened this year. Boise played, I think Boise beat Washington in the Las Vegas Bowl last year, and then they opened with them, and Washington beat them in the opener this year.
2: That's exactly right, Ryan.
1: Crazy stuff. And then one last thing before I let you go, Coach. Marcel had a comment I wanted to share. Showtime is showing a documentary called Against the Tide, how USC showed the SEC how to play football. It was a great history lesson. Bear Bryant truly liked USC style of football. I'm not sure if today's fans are aware of that. That's from Marcel.
2: Oh, they're aware, but I think most people are when Sam Cunningham went down there. Bear Bryant and John McKay were the best of friends. They traveled everywhere together, and they're really good friends. And they love Las Vegas, those two guys. They used to go there a lot, and uh, they talked about what I need as far as down, what type I need to have you, John, come down and play a football game down in Birmingham or Tuscaloosa, i got to have you guys down there because I want them to see what, what football players look like. And uh, John McKay said, fine. And uh, they scheduled a home-and-home, and, home, and uh, John McKay took his team down there, and, and it really increased the, uh, the, the talent of the Southeastern Conference. And it was uh, USC and John McKay who helped that happen.
1: Nice. Good stuff. All right. Well, Coach, thanks again for uh, coming on the show, talking about what's going on with USC. We'll have you back again. We've been podcasting going in five and a half years. We're going to keep going, win or lose, throughout the offseason and uh, up until the next season. So thanks again for coming on, Coach.
2: Ryan, thank you very much for everyone out there. Uh, happy holidays to all of you, and we'll talk to you next week.
1: Sounds good. and We'll be back in a minute talking to USCfootball.com
4: beat writer Dan Weber. Hello, Trojan fans! We've been on a roll since Coach O has taken over. Sometimes, you have a great team or product, but you're just not getting the results you want. Sometimes, you need a new strategy to shake things up and get your team winning again. If you're a small business owner, you might be having the same problem in your business. Maybe you hired someone to do the marketing, or build a website, or handle your social media, but you just aren't getting the results that they promised. Or maybe... You don't even have a professional doing the marketing for you. Whatever the case, you know you can do better. Your business deserves better. Imagine the success you might be able to have if you hired a new marketing company. Circle Marketing gives you that big agency expertise and strategy, but at a small business price that you can afford. So contact Circle Marketing today at circlemarketing.com and see if hiring a new marketing company is the right action for you to take to help your small business get back on track and back in the winning column. Circle Marketing can help you build that bigger business. Contact us today at circlemarketing.com. Circle Marketing will fight on for your small business. We're back here on the
1: Peristyle Podcast. We've got Dan Weber joining us. On the line, uscfootball.com. dot com beat writer Dan. Uh, not the the greatest result as far as USC fans go. Thirty five fourteen over there at the the Coliseum just didn't seem like USC did well in any phase of the game.
5: None, none. Maybe Buck Allen uh, and Hayes Pillard, You know, unfortunately, had to make you know all those tackles. But uh, you get past that, you didn't. There wasn't much to hang your hat on. That was. Uh, it was a shocker. I think, you know, Coach Orgeron was probably more shocked than anybody. I think he was just so convinced his team was, you know, ready to play. And whether they were ready or not, they certainly didn't play, you know. And he said, thought before the game, you've never seen them more ready. And, uh, man, that that went away really quickly with uh, lack of execution, lack of field position, lack of special teams, you know, inability to, you know, protect the quarterback, inability to get people open, uh, inability to run the ball against a team. Yes, he should have been able to run the ball uh, against uh, UCLA and, and expected to be able to run the ball and put in a fairly, I think, conservative game plan. Yeah. Because they thought they could, you know. And uh Makes you you know remember the thirteen to nine game and think yeah that was we've seen that before we've been there we've been there uh, way before where a team pretty much assumed that uh, they were good enough and I think you know did the um, the Stanford game the way they stood in there and battled Stanford a team that really handled UCLA fairly easily you know the fact that they were you know, uh, favored. The fact that they didn't have to do that much the week before and needed to rest up after Stanford, did it put them in a place where they just weren't able to adjust and get up to game speed and game tempo? They certainly didn't get up to game speed and game tempo. Ed said he didn't think so. Thought they practiced really well, but uh, they just didn't didn't, didn't, didn't produce almost anything on the court. I mean, it was embarrassing. The, um, uh, inability to, you know, cover on kickoffs, inability to punt the ball down the field, uh, just lots of things. that just, um, uh, and, and the inability to adjust, you know, after you realize, okay, they're taking that directional, you know, kickoff to the, you know, right pylon and UCLA's, loading up on the left side. They're putting everybody on the left side. And they're trying to outnumber you at the point of attack. And they're, you know, Ismail Adams has just got one duty. He catches it and he runs as fast as he can, as straight as he can, and tries to beat you to the spot where they've got four or five blockers and you've got two uh, defenders. They did it again and again and <laughs> again. USC would score. I think they were back in. And the next thing you know, 52-yard return, and UCLA's all fired up, and USC's kind of down in the dumps again. I thought the inability to adjust at any level in the game uh, was really crucial. Offense, defense—they couldn't adjust to Hundley. Uh, I mean, it looked like a 1940 offense in the single wing, where you'd snap the ball back, and the guy'd fake a pass, and then take off running. It looked like the kind of games kids play in the you know in the alley behind their house. You know where. That's the extent of the offense, and that's all they needed. USC couldn't handle it; uh, they had dropping everybody back, and those guys were backpedaling. And here's Hundley running at them, and they're blocking five on three. I just thought UCLA had had all the answers, and USC had didn't even see to know what the questions were going to be.
1: <laughs> that's a good way to put it. Then, well, we got some. Speaking of questions, we do have some from the fans, and I wanted to. Uh... Uh, play and read some of them for you we're going to start off with a voicemail question first here we go hey this
3: is Corey from santa monica i just had a question for really anyone i just wanted to talk about a little bit about the quarterback play um i'm just kind of curious on what your thoughts are uh, our quarterbacks no matter who we put out there lost and I was just kind of wondering, you know, what happened? Is it the de- a development issue where they just haven't come along? Or did we maybe whiff a little bit on our evaluations when we were evaluating these? The USC's never had a big problem finding quarterbacks. So I'm just wondering kind of what has held these quarterbacks back the most. And uh, I don't think it's an excuse you can use with youth. Because if you look across the landscape of college football, some of the most successful quarterbacks are young quarterbacks, red shirt freshmen, true true freshmen, and guys like Jameis Winston and, you know, Johnny Manziel. So I don't think you can use the youth as an excuse. But I I, I just wanted your take. Do you think they're not developing, or did we whiff on evaluations, or do you think it's a little bit of both? Thanks. Um, You
5: know, I guess I'm not exactly sure who which quarterback you're talking about. You're talking about the one that you know uh, in the stretch, uh, the three games before the Oregon before the uh, UCLA game, excuse me, uh, completed 74% of his passes. Uh, You know the one that uh, that beat Stanford, made all the big throws. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which quarterback that you're talking about that we whiffed on. Uh, I think partly it's uh, a developmental. the current quarterback uh, was held back tremendously uh, in the month uh, before the season in the first two weeks of the season by a, uh, you know, con- kind of a contrived quarterback, uh, uh, you know, competition that shouldn't have ever been. He should have been, you know, Cody Kessler should have been the starting quarterback uh, uh, after at the very least two weeks and, and, and should not have lost those four weeks. Uh I think USC, obviously, is running a kind of an Alabama-Stanford pro-style attack. And that's, you know, you're going to do that. you got to block people. You've got to protect the quarterback. You've got to be able to run the ball. And then you got to, you know, play action off the run. That's what USC quarterbacks are designed to do. And uh, they uh, they better be able to block. And if you can't, if, for example, if you're Cody Kessler against UCLA, and the first couple of times you take a deep drop, and you've got to decide which side is, is the guy coming from who's going to take my head off. Uh, that's going to probably change the way you look at the game. Uh, I thought they did him no, you know, Cody was still 17 of 28, uh, didn't throw an interception, threw for a touchdown. Hundley didn't throw for a touchdown. The numbers are almost exactly the same, uh, throwing the ball. Uh, and what did Hundley do? Hundley has the ability to scramble. Uh, you know, I wish Cody would, you know, have the uh, feel like he has the freedom to take off a little bit. I think uh, that was inhibited, no question. There's a developmental issue. I think he was inhibited by, you know, Lane, uh, not wanting quarterbacks to be unpredictable, and uh, you know that 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 didn't help. So there was, but I wouldn't say whiffed. I, I would say, for example, the three weeks before the UCLA game, no quarterback in the Pac-12 was playing better than Cody Kessler. Uh, so I think uh, I'm I'm a little surprised at the reaction to the UCLA game from people who just decided USC can't win with Cody Kessler quarterback, or we need you know you know if you want to go to a you know Brown honley you know type quarterback, you really do have to change everything. You got to change you know the whole offensive philosophy. Since that hasn't happened yet, and I'm not sure if it is, you know if it should or if it will. Uh, you know, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't put the quarterback down and say, uh, you know, he's not, not the guy. I think he's done a magnificent job leading the team as a team leader. Uh, you know, I do think he was, he was held back uh, for a lot of reasons that, uh, you know, weren't his fault, but uh, I, I wouldn't come down on Cody like that.
1: All right. Uh, good stuff there. Thanks for that question and uh, answer Yeah, I, I I agree with you. Just it's funny. In the beginning of the season, people were complaining about Cody Kessler. Then they start winning, and they don't complain about him anymore. You lose a game, it's like, oh, it's the quarterback. But I mean, I I think there's, there was certainly yeah. a, lot, a lot more problems than what Cody Kessler was doing. Out
5: yeah, there. I mean, he had you know games where he you know threw four incomplete passes or you know two incomplete passes. I mean, he had magnificent games. He threw the ball deep. Was it Cody's fault they didn't let him throw deep? I don't think so. He you know why why didn't they throw the ball deep? Why didn't they throw it down the field? He's shown that he can throw it really well down the field he really you know accurate deep ball uh where was that i don't don't know it was uh but
1: no it wasn't there (laughs)
5: yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't blame the quarterback
1: uh let's go on we have a this is an interesting question dan i'll I'll read it all to you it's uh, i'm a longtime listener of your podcast i've been in the army for 12 years and been deployed five times for a total of 51 months wow I'm currently deployed in Qatar. Uh, I have listened to the the podcast from three different continents and more than eight different countries. That's amazing. Uh, I don't believe that I have missed an episode. I went back to listen to the ones uh, that were done even before I knew you guys did a podcast. I appreciate the insight you give me each and every week when I'm so far from home, and we're very happy to do that. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, It's from Top Trojan Fan, and he had two questions. First one is, and the losses we have faced this year, I see our lines getting manhandled. What can Aaron Osmus, the USC strength and conditioning coach, do in the off season to make us into a more physical team?
5: Well, thank you for your service, my goodness. I can't even begin to tell you uh, those uh, those deployments and those months gone and all that. Uh, oh, uh, thank you for letting us be, uh, you know, one of your connections back here. We we're we're more mightily. Uh, uh, you know, pleased to be to be able to do that. Uh, no question about it. They really do have to get you know bigger and stronger. I mean, I think they held up you know decently well. I think Chad Wheeler at six seven and probably two ninety is a challenge. He's a very got a very strong base. Uh, needs to really get stronger, uh, you know, up top. And he does look like he's got the frame you know to handle it. But he does have to get bigger and stronger and uh, much 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 more physical. I think, you know, now I don't think we know what's going to happen with Marcus Martin and Andre Walker. Both of them, I think, have the potential to be awfully good, but uh, I don't think either one of them are there, you know, physically where they had to be. Uh, I think it was an issue. John uh, Martinez, who ended up not starting, probably the strongest guy in the team, for some reason it didn't seem to be able to play out in terms of, you know, the way he was used or technique or whatever. Uh, I don't know that it's always going to be on the strength and conditioning guys. Some of it is on how do you run your offense, how do you you know how do you teach the uh, you know the kind of blocking you know schemes you want to use and all of that. Uh, but um, something, and I wouldn't you know wouldn't put it all on Aaron. I mean, I I give him high marks for the fact that you know they made it through the year as thin as they were in so many places in so many ways. Now, obviously. You know, the strength and conditioning guy doesn't have anything to do if a guy gets his ankle broken like Walker did or, uh, you know, dislocates his his knee and whatever else, uh, you know, happened with Marcus. They both get rolled up on from behind. But uh, I think you're right. Uh, If USC wants to be USC, if USC wants to play like USC, if USC wants to be any part of the tradition of USC, you know, where you're talking about guys like, you know, Ron Yeri and Brad Buddy and, Anthony Munoz and, you know, USC always, you know, for me, you know, growing up in the Midwest and looking at USC and thinking, man, they got a lot of big, big, strong, athletic looking offensive linemen, guys that we didn't see, uh, that were, you know, kind of almost, you know, lean and mean and, and just the kind of athletes you didn't see playing at, you know, other places. And uh, I think that went away a little bit over the last few years. they They just became much more finesse and, 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 and not as physical as they have to be. I mean, and, and, and just probably some of that, you know, I don't know that it's Aaron Austin's responsibility, for example, though, you know, when the same guy lines up on one side of the, you know, line of scrimmage, Cassius march, and then lines up on the other and runs by both guys and he just ran right by him, uh, and they just didn't look like they were all that you know excited about blocking him. And you it, it couldn't tell if they thought someone else was going to block him or <laughs> they weren't sure of their technique. So you, you don't know if it's always a strength and, and, and power issue, but they're not strong enough and they're not powerful enough, and they haven't exerted themselves enough physically. Part of the problem there is, though, when you're practicing with the numbers USC has, it's not very easy to do that and establish that same kind of, a, say, Stanford or Alabama kind of uh, practice every day. Uh, that, that's, that's a real challenge. It's, it's one of the you know almost criminal things that the NCAA has done to USC, that USC is not allowed to compete at the same level that the teams are competing, you know, that they have to compete with. And, and, and that's truly uh, unfair and truly something that you wish USC would have done something about before before
1: now all right and then the uh, second part of uh our warrior overseas question uh can you give us a rapid fire explanation of the 99 dollar promo code i just signed up for it and it doesn't explain the process anywhere thanks and fight on and just so he's talking about we're doing actually a promotion on the site on uscfootball.com now so if you're you're not a subscriber and you want to join and uh, subscribe we've got a lot of good stuff going on right now it'll be now through the bowl game and recruiting season lots of inside information if you sign up for an annual subscription for a year, it's 99 bucks. You get $99 in free USC gear. So what they'll do is they'll, once you sign up, it'll take a couple of weeks, and they'll send you a promotional code that you can go from the rival store and uh, order your stuff. And actually, Top Children Fan, if you want to email me, I'll send you some gear myself. So just drop me an email with uh, an address, and we'll send you some from the site just on our own. So thanks for the, the question on that. But It's good to get questions like that, Dan. It's cool to hear someone from overseas listening. Yeah,
5: uh, and what a uh, you – know. What a compliment to be, uh, you know, the, the connection uh, back to UFC. Uh, we, we, we're just, you know, very much, uh, you know, proud of, of having you guys out there.
1: Certainly, thrilled and honored, and thank you for that. Um, let's go. We got another question. This is a voicemail question. It's a little long, so I'm going to have to cut it off in the middle. Uh, we can try to keep your voicemail questions to, a, you know, under a minute or so if you can. This one's over two, but here you hey, go. Hey,
6: Ryan and team, this is Alan in St. Louis. Just calling to say a couple of things. First off, very proud of the way the children play this year especially considering all that adversity, and despite this loss UCLA, you can't underestimate how much God and character it took to get them to where they are at the end of the season. So I just want to get that off, for, first of all. The second thing I want to say is that watching this game, it reminded me uh, of something my coach used to tell me in high school and tell our entire team um, before we walked down the field, and he would say, Emotion is not enough, that's good fight." The fact that you want to win this game very badly, there are people on the other sidelines, there are opposing players who want to win it just as badly as you, and at some point you just have to play better. Something unique that I did this time watching this game was I watched the entire game on fast-forward on DVR. I didn't really have a lot of time to watch it. I had some family in town, so I had to kind of just fast-forward the game and see what, what I can do after a long day with the family.
1: Uh, sorry, I'll cut him off. But, yeah, he, he went on to say that he watched it fast-forward and it just looked like... UCLA was kind of doing the same things over and over. It was working, and USC, uh, in this fast-forward mode that he was watching it, you could see it just didn't really have any flow to it. But I want to get your thoughts on the emotional part of stuff that, Dan. Uh,
5: yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of been a caricature of Ed's tenure there, you know, that, that it was about emotion or about, you know, uh, you know, the Roscoe's and in or out and all that kind of stuff. You know, they had all the answers pretty much – The only second guess I had of them, I was just thinking about this today, all year long in the eight games, was I thought they should have gone and done the walkthrough at Notre Dame. Now, they hadn't scheduled one, and that would have taken a whole lot of changes in the routine. They had to change the buses and change the meals and change the police escort, you know, from Michigan City to South Bend. But as it turned out, They didn't handle South Bend and the stadium all that well that night. I think Ed knew it, and they they had a different approach, not a walkthrough necessarily, but a different approach to Oregon State. That would have been the only time, and I think that was kind of the institutional bias of, oh, it's going to be really hard to to change everything. But other than that, I thought they got everything right until the UCLA game. I don't think, I mean, I thought they've gotten all their game plans right, Thought they they've gotten practice right, they've gotten – uh, all the adjustments, right? You know, I think Ed was you know key in making Josh Shaw go back to corner, even though they didn't want to lose him at safety. I thought he was uh, you know, a key in simplifying the offensive line blocking schemes and all of that. After they had you know some you know real issues at Notre Dame, uh, you know, it looked like they were moving everything in the right direction. You know the the rotations, all that kind of stuff. I thought they were it was it was really good coaching, and then. They get to the UCLA game, and there's almost nothing you can look at and say, wow, they did that right, or wow, you know, or "You know, it looked like a conservative game plan, a reactionary game plan, the kind of game plan you would have if you were, you know, Stanford playing, uh, you know, uh, Colorado. Uh, it just didn't look like a dynamic, uh, you know, game plan. And uh, I think, you know, it didn't look like they were going for it. And, you know, one of the kids did say he thought they wasted a lot of emotional energy in the wolfing before the game, and that that was, he said he thought that was really wasted motion and energy, and uh, Ed said tonight he didn't like that. Uh, excuse me, on, on, you know, on Sunday night, Ed's conference call, he said they didn't like the idea that you know they got into that you know shouting and kind of pushing confrontation with UCLA's kids who kind of surrounded them when they did the prayer before the you know before the game, and um, I think they got caught by surprise there. They came out with a lot of fire, and then they uh, they did such a bad job on kickoff coverage. Had a couple of you know. Uh, three and outs uh, couldn't stop uh, you, me right away, and just got deflated so fast it was hard to hard to even imagine. But I don't know that you know it was emotion so much. I think it was you know the emotion didn't help them, but I think it was just total failure to execute and total failure to have a you know a game plan that that really answered what they needed to have done. Uh, in the face of what UCLA was doing to them, I thought they they didn't have any answers, and UCLA had all the answers. And UCLA came out and kind of punched them in the mouth, and uh, you know USC just had no response.
1: Uh, we got one more voicemail question for you. Um, this is kind of an interesting one. I thought we, there was a lot of talk on Twitter about this during the uh, during the game. We'll play this for you.
6: Hi Ryan Frank from Sacramento. You know I knew we were in trouble when the UCLA game started and I saw the glasses rep was going to be running the show. <laughs> Do you guys find that he treats us pretty harshly? I'm glad he was not the ref for the defense game. Thanks.
5: You know, the thing that drives you crazy, it right, just won't stop talking. You know, I mean, they have conversation. I mean, he did. I still, I can't get over. I was, I don't know where I was last year watching the pinstripe bowl. And, uh, he would I thought he was, you know, from uh, from uh, Yankee Stadium, and he, he, it was a Pac-12 career with him as the official. I thought he was auditioning for a Broadway play. I mean, he would. He turned that mic on, and he just chattered and chattered. So, one thing you do have is you're going to have more uh, referee official conferences during a game with the glasses ref. Now, he really, you know, didn't. Kill USC. I mean, there were people saying, "Well, he didn't call any penalties." I have a feeling uh, uh, the one uh, double unsportsmanlike you know uh, conduct penalty uh, was was on him, but they get you know they canceled each other out so that one didn't count as a penalty. <clears throat> but I, uh, uh, you know what, in the Pac-12, to say. <laughs> This guy's the worst official, or that guy's the worst. When you watch them and they get calls wrong consistently, they're out of position. Guy comes down on the line, whole foot on the line in the end zone. Pac-12, you know, official who's not in the right place. He's not. He's out of, out of the field of play, so he's looking at it from the wrong angle. He doesn't have the angle straight down the line. Waits about ten seconds and then you know gets it wrong, and then they have to overturn it on on review or you'll see a catch made you know at the sideline and two of them you know it's in between them and they come running up and they're you know the guy on that's closer to it won't make a call because he's afraid he's going to be wrong i mean there are so many bad officials in the pac-12 uh it's so he, he you would have never thought that you'd say this but you can't even single out the glasses ref as being and all that data. And I'm not sure anymore <clears throat> it used to be and Pete Carroll obviously could document it that, you know, automatically whoever you played whoever UFC played in the Pac twelve their penalties were halved because for some reason the Pac twelve referees thought it was their job to make the game a little closer. Uh don't think that's happening now. I think it's just sheer incompetence at this point. They're just not they don't have anybody that you say, boy, that that crew you could put on a big game. I mean, you don't get the sense that that the pac twelve has anybody that's big enough for big games and big plays, and uh, you know it shows. But yeah, he's he's uh, he's a hoot.
1: He's a hoot, yeah. And we follow him on Twitter at GlassesRef. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, and you can follow yeah, you follow me on Twitter at InsideTroy, by the way. And I forgot to mention Coach Harvey Hyde at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him. And Dan, we still got to get him on Twitter. You
5: got to get me on. I, I'm sort of on, but I, I don't, you
1: know. <laughs> we'll do it one of these days. We keep talking okay. about it. Uh, we got a few more we can kind of go through fairly quickly. Um, Leo wanted to know, I noticed on the football roster, Delvon Simmons is listed as defensive lineman, but since he's a transfer from Texas Tech, he can't play. What's the story on this player? His bio looks very intriguing. Has he been practicing?
5: Yeah, no, he practices every day. He practices hard. He's with the scout team or with the second team to give him that good look. He's tall, a big, tall kid. Uh, probably uh, weight room work would, wouldn't, wouldn't hurt, but he's got – I mean, he might have had the biggest hit in the, of the year for alignment on the practice field uh, and uh, uh, seems to be a kid that, you know, comes out there and, and puts in his work every day. A uh, uh, western Pennsylvania kid who went to Texas Tech and uh, – I think uh, they're pretty excited about you know having him in there. Uh, for example, you put him and match him up with Leonard Williams, and you got you know two pretty imposing-looking, athletic, uh, you know, rangy uh, guys who are going to get you know mess up your line of sight. That's for sure. If you're a quarterback, so uh, you know he's a he's a you know they've got some you know waiting in, you know in the wings uh, defensive linemen that. Uh, you know, bode well for, you know, where they can be if they get, you know, everything, you know, organized for next year to get everybody comes back. Uh, but, yeah, he's uh, he's one they're very, uh, I think, very happy uh, to have in the program.
1: All right. Uh, Melvin had a question. How much influence do the USC alumni like Marcus Allen, Sean Salisbury, Ronnie Lott, Willie McGinnis have in the selection of who will be the next football coach?
5: I don't think so. I don't think much. I don't think they think they do either. I mean, and I don't know should they or shouldn't they. Uh, I, um, you know, I know Marcus, for example, really, uh, you know, he loves Ed and can't say enough good things about Ed. Um, and and will, you know, make his, uh, you know, point of view clear. But uh, but I don't think they think they should either. Uh, I just think they think they should have as much as, uh, you know, a guy who. You know, knows the game and cares about USC, uh, and, and and pays attention. Uh, you know, should be you know listened to. But but I don't think any of them you know expect to you know have any kind of uh, you know special uh, hearing. Uh, in, you know, in front of the powers that be at USC. But you know they'll certainly uh, I think make their make their point of view uh, clear to them.
1: Uh, yeah, probably more of the boosters. I would think big money people would have more influence than the the. But the famous alumni are the ones you're going to hear from. Um, like we had Marcus. Yeah, yeah
5: and I, I do think that's you know that's happening, and there are people who really like uh, you know who really like Dad and uh, you know and, and would you know put their money where their you know their mouth is with with regard to Ed. But uh, but I I don't know that anybody around. I don't think USC's exactly. You know, I've been in you know, around places where you know, the money people do talk, you know, and uh, you don't get that quite that same feeling, uh, you know, at USC. It, it, it just, uh, you know, you might think that that were the case, and that was always kind of the reputation, but I uh, don't think that's, uh, that's really the case, uh, that that's, that's how it goes.
1: Uh, let's see, Mark has a question. Hayden's facing a tough decision. If he hires outside, he risks losing three to five additional players to the draft. That cannot be replaced, which makes the job even less attractive to a top-tier coach. If he goes with coach, oh, he'll be criticized for hiring a second-tier coach. A tough place to be between a rock and a hard place. That's Mark Child writing
5: that. In. Yeah, yeah, I think Mark is, uh, expresses it really well. And there's there are some issues now. Whether there is a you know a happy medium, uh, you know a, a Jack Del Rio type candidate who hasn't coached in college needs. Uh, uh, you know, because of his own circumstances at Denver, uh, because of uh, when he would be available timing-wise, because of USC's bowl game and recruiting, that the the blending of somebody like that with Coach O, you know, elevating Coach O to a, you know, really, uh, you know, maybe the premier assistant coach or associate head coach in America, you know, with a comparable salary uh, could be, the kind of, uh, you know, thing you ended up with, uh, that might be might be workable now uh, after, you know, after the UCLA game. I mean, let's face it still, has anybody had, you know, a better last eight games in the Pac-12, other than Todd Graham, than Coach O? You know, I'm not not sure they have. Uh, Coach O had a better day, you know, Saturday than some of the most famous coaches on the planet, <laughs> uh, you know, is, is as difficult as things went at USC, uh, you know he's he's had, you know, he had fewer losses than you know Boise and uh, made a you know hasn't made a you know the kind of a coaching mistake that Nick Saban made to lose that game. Uh, you know hasn't given up all the points that maybe Texas A&M has. And, you know there's just lots of ways you can look at it and say uh, you know how how great a job he. And his assistants have done over these last eight games, and uh, how you'd like to see that, you know, rewarded, you know, going forward, and you know what is the best way to to do that that, you know, also does the very best for the USC football program going forward. And there are some issues short term that other people wouldn't have to deal with. For example, the last year the NCAA sanctions the inability to replace uh, uh, anyone who leaves early uh, because of the way the NCA structured, uh, you know, really and in, in, insidiously structured, uh, you know, the penalties to damage USC as much as possible. Uh, so those are, you know, those are considerations. I don't think there's any question. And you get the wrong guy in here in terms of short-term, maybe long-term, okay, but short-term, you could be taking a step back or two after already having been knocked back a couple of steps. I mean, let's face it, you take away the sanctions, there's no way Notre Dame wins the last two years, and there's certainly no way UCLA wins the last two years. If you, if you, uh, USC's got a full roster, I don't think. If you take away some of those kids that wouldn't be at Notre Dame or USC, or at UCLA, and, you know, give a full roster to USC. Uh, So, you know, I think, you know, sometimes we're kind of looking at USC, and, you know, and the results unfairly. I mean, they're basically playing with a, you know, one arm tied behind their back. And they have you know, not only playing with one arm tied behind his back, he got a late start. And, you know, they have it all come down to one game, that's just the way, you know, it did, and that's the way it was going to be, and there's no question about it. Uh, but, but not necessarily – totally reflective of, of, you know, the situation or, or the ability to, you know, to perform as, you know, the coach at USC. They're, they're, you know, if going forward, you know, as much as you like, you know, different people on the staff and that, the staff might be configured in a different way. Or even with these same people, you might be doing different things if you had time to, you know, redo the, you know, the playbooks and things like that, but uh, but they didn't. And you know, Saturday
1: happened the way it did. Uh, we got one last one for you, Dan, uh, from Dave in Ladera Ranch. Tough loss, I think. Much of I think much of this, at least on defense and the offensive line, can be blamed on the lack of depth. I'm a supporter of Coach O. I think he can do the job, but needs more strength around him and his assistant coaches, particularly on offense. Would there be any chance of bringing Norm Chow back as the offensive <laughs> coordinator with Hawaii struggling as they have? Maybe he is ready for a change. That's Dave on Ladera Ranch.
5: Probably not. Uh, You know, Norm still is here, uh, and I think he'd probably jump at it. Uh, I'm not sure i see it. I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, to get everything else in place, uh, you know, he's not always the easiest person to deal with. I mean, they obviously it it worked well uh, that dynamic with Norm and Pete and and the way the quarterbacks responded to him and all that, but it wasn't easy. I mean, it was not a, that wasn't a ha that wasn't Disneyland, uh, you know, the way they were dealing with each other, but it was a kind of a creative, you know, uh, tension, I think that existed. It was one that I, <laughs> I don't think Pete wanted to deal with, uh, you know, in perpetuity. And, um, so uh, you know, Norm ended up ended up leaving, but I, I mean, I think it was pretty productive. Uh, but um, but uh, I, I I don't see it. I mean, we've heard that you know he would not be not open to it. That 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 would not be something Norm would be uh, you know would be opposed to. But uh, I don't see it.
1: All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Thanks again for. Uh coming on the show and uh sharing your insights we'll keep we'll keep everyone up to date here on these podcasts going forward through bowl season and all of that and let you know where usc is going to play what's going on with the coaching search and it could happen quick it might take a while we just don't yeah, know we,
5: well we got we keep hearing honestly we do keep here the day we keep hearing is wednesday yeah so, that's weird that's uh, the day we're we're hearing and uh you know if you watch espn Watch the crawls and, and see how many different names you see on the crawls. You know, it's, uh, you know, within the last hour, as uh, now it's uh, James Franklin and uh, uh, from Vanderbilt and Chris Peterson uh, are, are the last two names on the crawl. But you know, you, we'll see. You might see anybody
1: there. All right. Well, thanks again, Dan, and everyone else. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the Parastyle podcast, and we'll talk to you all next week.